Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another monthly review podcast from Elm Park Royals. It's been an interesting period between international breaks. Uh, the last one was so good and this one uh, started off okay and ended well, but the middle was pretty dire. Uh, I'm joined by Jack Stanley, Analytics 1871 to talk through things. How are you, Jack? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Evening all. Uh, yes. And well, it's not the evening for Ben because he joins us from British Columbia where it's 8am and we appreciate him just just waking up to talk to us. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I'm back at home staring at my window at the constant drizzle that feels never ending at the moment. Uh, that's like Canada, isn't it? Uh, well, I guess sometimes it's snow. Sometimes it's snow. Yeah. Ski season's coming, which is good. When the mountain's clear, I can see a little dusting of snow, which is exciting. But yeah, just got to get through this rain. Well, uh, you, you don't, you obviously don't watch uh, Reading games from the stadium. So I, I always wonder, do, do you have a different kind of view? Like how, because when I watch Reading games at home, I have Twitter open and Twitter kind of is, is a big part of my watching experience. And that kind of flavors what I think about after the game. Do you have that, Ben? Um, well, specifically with Twitter, I tend to duck in and out, maybe half time, full time. Uh, I limit myself to, to that. Um yeah, I guess so. I, I think I definitely do have a different perspective. I mean, enforced by watching on TV and a lot of people would kind of hate that. Um, obviously, it's not option. I, I would love to be in the stadium, but um, life has moved me to the other side of the world. Um, yeah, but I guess so. I mean, maybe we'll get into that. Maybe if we talk about Puskas and I come out as a massive apologist, then, uh, then that might be why. God, I said, let's not mention Puskas. <laughs> I said it like, I, I just want to be Sorry. clear. I was trying to avoid him for the whole podcast, but... Yeah, oh, come on, you had to drop us in it. <laughs> anyway, uh, should we should we start with the good stuff? Barnsley was okay, wasn't it? Um, I always feel like sometimes Reading kind of drop down to the level of the opposition. Um, but this is, I think, a good opportunity to talk about Scott Dan and what he can bring to the team because obviously he had that tremendous assist. Um, and I feel like just that that passing out from the back is something that we've been lacking, Jack. Uh, yeah. Completely agree. Um, the assist being the obvious uh, point here where he, he had that massive pass out to Swift that ends up being, it counts as an assist, but I think Swift still does quite a lot after that point um, to turn it into turn it into a, a fantastic opportunity and, and really one that a player of his calibre is going to score 
quite quite frequently. Um, but I think more than anything, it's almost that ability to make in one pass what otherwise we might try and make in three or four um, and be able to switch the play and make use of some of the overloads that we have on either side of the pitch. I think as well against teams like Millwall, it was quite noticeable when we were sort of very deliberate in possession and moving uh, their defence from side to side when we were able to isolate people um, on the far side of the pitch um, going back to someone with Dan who can just pick that pass out with consistent accuracy is, has been probably the one time when the long ball has worked for us um, throughout throughout the, the past few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Danny Drinkwater has that in his locker, but he seems to be more focused on playing playing out from the back, which is completely understandable. Um, without him in midfield, I really feel like we have had to use Dan a bit more. Um, like Josh Lauren has had problems uh, or not problems, but he, he isn't that type of player, right? He's going to play expansive passes that well. Um, and without anyone else beside him, we, we don't really have that. Um, yeah, Ben, how do you feel about Reading's ball, pro- ball progression this season? It, it feels like it was much the same as last year in that, you know, it, it was always about transition more than anything. Yeah, I think so. And I think you touched on some really good points about Dan and what he offers and being more direct. And we haven't really seen too much of that. So it's hard to say what's Dan and what's kind of a tactical shift maybe for the Barnsley game specifically. Um, obviously, they press so much. Um, I think the key the key player that we've missed this season for that is Holmes. That, that he's shown flashes of, of having really good ball progression for a, a well, defensive player, whether he's playing centre-back or right-back these days. Um, so I think he's he's really been missed. And um, I think we'll talk about a bit more. And, and Drinkwater's been really key for, for as you say, dropping deep and, and starting those moves, progressing them forward. So it's been a bit of a mixed bag as, as, you know, not all the players have kind of been available to see what, you know, our, our best 11 would look like in terms of moving the ball forward. Um, it's been a bit of a weird kind of jigsaw hit and miss and kind of evolving on a game by game basis. And I think that might continue. Yeah, I mean, let's dive into the injury thing, because obviously, yeah, we can come back to Holmes and we'll probably touch on it in, in this little bit. But um, just after the international break, we had an article on the official site about how all of Reading's injuries this season bar one I think have been contact injuries I don't think that that's the case anymore like uh Danny Drinkwater had a soft tissue injury and well I mean someone yeah, people have been isolating with COVID that's not really down to the medical team obviously um there there isn't really a way Jack I mean prefacing this with none of us are physios um there isn't really a way to stop injuries in a match where someone flies in and and completely classes you, is there? So how much do we think that the medical team should be doing a better job than they are? Or or is it just a case that we have been awfully unlucky this season? I think, I think we have been unlucky from that sort of, was it the first home game against Preston when there was a pretty, what looked bad but relatively innocuous challenge on Zhao and that turns out that he's done his hip for half a season Um, all the way through to now where there's just been this stream of contact injuries okay there's been a couple more recently that haven't been but this this long stream of just things that have been picked up and I think that that increasingly actually puts the medical team probably again not a physio but in a very very difficult position because I think it was the Millwall game we had nine senior first team outfield players and everybody else were sort of either still in the under 23s or people who just started to come into the first team um, from the under 23s but playing regular games for them and I think 
actually at that point it's put so much pressure on those that are just about fit and in some instances it does seem just about fit I know Moore has picked up his fair share of knocks that he's had to play through because that's been the necessity um, I think that the more and more we end up doing that the more and more strain that puts on the medical team and what was I think quite nice was from the when the club went through the list of of injuries was the the way they spoke about the relationship between Paunovic and the medical team and obviously they're always going to say it's good the club are never going to say look that's a terrible relationship but the there must be some fairly significant stresses between those sort of the the, the individuals in that because you think Paunovic is going to want everybody to play every single minute um, but is also going to accept or have to accept that in the long run that might not be what's best and we're going to have to blood in a few youngsters like Ashcroft like Clark with additional minutes um, to make up for this Um, so I don't think the medical team can really get an awful lot of flack and I think as it goes on it's just getting much 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 more difficult for them. I am so glad that you highlighted the the section where he said something like Panovic is yeah very receptive to the feedback that we give him um, because this is something you've talked about Ben about the the minutes that Panovic puts in players um, now he like to be fair to him he has very rarely had a a deep squad with everyone to choose from um, but do you think that he rotates enough? And I, I personally already know your answer to this, but uh, many people listening may not have read it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did this this last year. I kind of did a bit of an exercise to look at more the load on the players. So I, equally, I'm, I'm not a physio, but I, I run a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking into to coaching in the future. And a lot of that is kind of managing an athlete's load to how much they can take. Um, and just purely if we looked at the number of minutes played over a certain window, whether it was four, four days or seven days last season, you were seeing these periods where it was, it was pretty regular that, that people would play four games in a week because of COVID. Um, everyone else seemed to be managing that by rotating and we didn't. Uh, and then we would get a lot of muscle injuries and it felt kind of predictable to me. Uh, and we felt like we were making the same mistakes and we were shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, and at the time I started kind of raising, you know, red flags, I think it was probably around January, February, because it was that Christmas period in particular. Uh, and lo and behold, our season fell away. So was I right? Who knows? Um, however, this time I, I have to hold my hands up and say, you know, I don't know what else Pamela can do. Like there's, there is nobody to rotate with, you know, do we want to start a game with, with eight first team players and, you know, three kids and have the other three on the bench sort of semi resting. I don't think that's really an option. You know, I, I, I think a lot of the players we have starting at the moment are exhausted uh, or maybe carrying injuries or a bit of both. And I think we we do flag a bit towards the end of the game. I think Ajaria for me stands out. His form's really dropped. And I don't think he's the kind of player that 10 years ago, if you had a player of his kind of luxury, I don't think he'd play 90 minutes every week. I think he'd play 60 minutes and then you'd have a, a sub, a young winger to chuck on and, and kind of charge at them. And yet we find him playing 90 minutes every week and scratching our head why he's not doing amazing things week in, week out. And, I think that's the same. And, you know, I, I thought about four reasons why why Puskas is having the season he's having. And, and one of them is maybe he's carrying an injury. His fitness doesn't look there. You know, even in the most recent game, he a couple of times he, he did something really good to break in front of a defender. And, and you know, normally he has that little bit of pace to keep them off. And within two strides, the, the, the defender, I can't remember who it was, he was kind of six foot five and looked like he shouldn't have been moving quickly. But he was able to catch him up really quickly. And that's not what we've seen in previous seasons. So it could be a fitness issue could be a injury that he's carrying and taking injections and taking one for the team every single game. And, and we're kind of absolutely pulling our hair out, wondering why he's rubbish and actually he's, he's doing everything he can. I don't know. 
but yeah, yeah sorry long answer long answer um yes we don't rotate anywhere near enough um but i don't know what else pounder can do in this case so sorry pounder <laughs> yeah i mean we did have a bit of a debate about puskas in in our group chat about whether um the club would come out and say whether he had an injury because obviously uh someone raised the point that um you you probably don't want other clubs knowing that you only have one fit striker but equally i think it probably would give him a bit yeah, you know, uh, a bit of uh, rope from from his own fans who are clearly not very happy with him. Um, the thing that I find interesting is that you could almost bring this back to recruitment. Um, Reading have signed a lot of quite good players, but a lot of players who do not have a particularly good injury kind of record. Um, Zhao was perennially injured uh, even before he got to Reading. Um, Drinkwater and Barbara Rahman are both, you know, not played a whole lot of games and and sometimes you you do see that come come through um now um you know lucas Yao, if you get half a season out of him you're pretty happy with that um the i guess the the two injuries that have occurred recently um that the medical team might take a bit more flack for is femi aziz who obviously came back uh, and within 30 minutes was out again and uh potentially Jamari Clark, although we do not know a whole lot about that even now. Um, but Jack, does that come down to the same thing that Paunovic just does not have the option to not play players who are half fit? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's from Paunovic's perspective, like either you're writing certain games off and you sort of say, for example, like we're not going to get any points against Bournemouth. The best we can do is not get injuries. Um, so let's rest a few additional players. Um, but I don't think that is really either in his nature nor in the nature of a professional sports team to be like, well, let's just write some games off. I think I think at some point, you know, you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, and he's going to get flack either way. Um, it's incredibly frustrating that the news that, Clark could be out for a bit um, if the reports of him hobbling around on crutches on Monday night are, are right after scoring a couple of goals in a really key game, both for Paunovic personally, but but also for the club more generally and keeping us more than nine points above the relegation zone. Um, I think it's really frustrating for us to be to be landed in that position. I think whether the medical team specifically take the blame I'm not sure. I think it was clear that before sort of the return back for, for Aziz and, and also maybe playing Clark that one game more than he should, the, the club was already creaking and we needed some form of rotation. And I don't think that Paunovic is in the position to sort of say, actually, we'll give players two extra games before they come back in. I don't, I don't think that's unfortunately the option that he has right now. Um, but sort of a question as to whether he should take that moving forward um, and sort of say, actually in the long run it might be better because some of when you get the recurring injuries they're never a sort of out for a game they're out for a few months um, and that's always going to be the the sort of balance that he has to strike yeah and to be fair to the medical team and everyone at Reading like Femi Aziz has played a couple of games where he played half an hour um, leading up to the game where he actually started so presumably they were fairly confident on his fitness it's just one of those things and um I mean, there's been a lot of chat about Jamari Clark, whether he should have played that under 23 games, Ben. Um, my, I mean, my personal opinion is he probably can play 90 minutes over the course of, you know, two days. But should should he have been? Or, or, or again, like, it's just another unlucky thing in, in my mind. Is it in yours? Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
I think we need to not get too far ahead of ourselves with him. Like he's, he played 45 minutes fantastically, scored two goals. You know, is he the answer to all our problems? Is he going to score 15 more goals between now and end of the season? Probably not. And I don't think we'd expect that from someone who's 18 and, and a handful of days. Um, if we do look at him as an academy striker who, you know, is in and around the first team occasionally, sure, it makes sense to have him playing, you know, the, the under-23s game um and getting because the thing he needs is those minutes he needs that experience um we have the international break so maybe they they saw the risk was incredibly low and, and just the worst possible thing happened um i'm on the fence about it maybe i i would have done the same it seems a bit weird to be wrapping him up in cotton wool at this stage um going into a bit of a break anyway uh, and it's just really unfortunate yeah absolutely um let, let's talk about jamari clark a bit more generally because as you say he had um those impactful 45 minutes at St. Andrews uh, in the last game. Uh, presumably, I mean, almost everyone I've spo- spoken to would have started him or would will start him, depending on what his injury actually is, um, in the first game back from uh, the international break. Um, how how much do you think that the expectation, Jack, is, is reasonable? Because obviously... In, in the other games, and he said it himself, um, he hasn't exactly torn up the championship so far. No, I think perhaps in the previous one of these that I was on, I perhaps unfairly suggested that when he had come on, he'd given some reasons as to why Pushkas was starting. Um, and that's more because that's nothing to against him. It's the gap between the championship and PL2 is, is quite significant. Um, and it is a huge step up. Um, I think it's fantastic that he's come on in his 10th appearance, um, having not played an awful lot of minutes, has scored two absolutely pivotal goals that could could be a bit of a turning point for, for him and, and for the team this season. Um, and I think that it's it's so important that as a fan base, we don't sort of say, well, the expectation is now that he scores fairly regularly or the or even that the expectation is that he nails down a starting spot like after Christmas hopefully we'll be looking at Zhao coming back um I think it's fairly unreasonable for us to put an expectation on on a kid that's just come through and hasn't started a a, a league game of football yet that he should be nailing down a spot over uh, a guy in Pushgas who I think has has given quite a bit uh, in a system that really really doesn't suit him and I think sort of until the probably until the Millwall game when I thought Clark looked very bright coming off of the bench um he hadn't really given an awful lot of of reason to believe that he was going to be that solution so I think we do need to not get ahead of ourselves but I do think there are things that we can look at in some of his performances that are positive in particular I quite liked the second goal that he scored and the fact that after taking the initial shot he does gamble to go in for the rebound and he is someone who is trying to get in front of the defender rather than waiting at the back mm. stick, um, which is something that Pushkas has maybe been a bit guilty of and means that he doesn't get all of the opportunities that he has. So I think there's lots of reasons to be optimistic and I think actually bleeding him in over time as the management have done has been successful. Um, but I think we really, really want to avoid saying, brilliant, this kid is going to go on and, and we'll sell him to, to Crystal Palace or he'll leave on a free to buy Munich and be the next sort of Reading Academy sensation. Well, there's absolutely no way he's leaving on a free. We are selling him for a fee if we ever get that far. But, you know, uh, yeah, let's not talk about that just yet. I mean, uh, Ben, basically the same question to you. Like, um, how do you see Jamari Clark's role going forward from here? Let's assume that he is not injured. Um, 
would you be starting to give him more minutes um, based on, you know, well, it's pretty much based on Birmingham, right? Uh, because before that, he I don't think he'd even had a shot in the championship. Yeah, I mean, I think he's earned the right to start at the very least. Um, he's definitely earned the right to get more than five minute cameos every week. Um, I mean, I was I was thinking back, who was the last academy strike through striker to come through? It was probably Danny Loder, and he came through with all the expectation in the world. And you know, he scored for Porto the other day, and I'm happy to see him doing well. But already, Clark's got more goals than Loder. I think Loder only managed the one with us, the one against Middlesbrough. So you know the kind of this kid comes out of nowhere so yeah my, my expectations I, I don't want to set them too high on him but as far as I'm concerned you know he has the shirt for the, for the very least um maybe Puskas benefits sorry that's mentioned number four maybe he benefits by um only coming on for 20 minutes in the next game or or a half time or you know something like that and having a, a smaller window to to lumber himself around yeah because I mean Puskas is also traveling right he's um he's actually starting against I think it's Lithuania or a team beginning with L. Um, there's so many. Um, so he presumably would probably benefit from having a little bit of a break um, because there's a whole lot of stuff out there, how your body doesn't really properly recover if it's flying all over the place and and, and whatnot. Um, but let, let's not talk about George Puskas anymore. And I, I think we've probably covered Sorry. Jamari Clark as well. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Um Let's talk about some of the other signings that we made um, over the summer. Obviously, they came in and they made a pretty big impact. We went on quite a nice run. Um, we've sort of mentioned Danny Drinkwater in the positive. Um, I, I feel like we are starting to see a little bit, Jack, about why it, it, he's still got time to to go. I guess in in terms of fitness, maybe. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I think. When we signed both Drinkwater and Dan, it was fairly clear that, well, largely because particularly in Scott Dan's case, he wasn't playing for the first few weeks because he wasn't ready, he wasn't match fit and hadn't had a pre-season. But I think it was it was fairly obvious that, you know, these are not players that have been playing regularly um, in the last few seasons and they're going to take a bit of time to to get up to speed. And I think in in many ways... Drinkwater was a bit of a victim of having a couple of fantastic performances when he started. The, 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 well, when he first came into the team, he practically started against Fulham because of the injury fairly early on, um, and uh, has I think been been pretty had been pretty solid until fairly recently, where I think we've started to see a couple more mistakes come into his game. I think he's arguably, well, definitely at fault for for the second Bournemouth goal, for example, that then puts the game beyond beyond bed, um, and questionably some poor ball control allows the corner to go out uh, for the first goal if you think it goes out I'm not necessarily sure whether the TV angle is conclusive on this um, but I think I think we're starting to see um, sort of some parts of his game that suggest that maybe he isn't the well isn't the player that, that, that he, he used to be and some of the concerns that people had at the time of the signing starting to filter through that said in the same way that we probably shouldn't overreact to a great half from Jamari Clark I think you know, it's championship football. Everybody's playing in the championship and not the premiership for a, a reason. And that's because they will make these mistakes and we probably shouldn't dramatically overreact. I think given the injuries in particular that we have towards the base of midfield, I think he's come in and done a, a really, really solid job um, overall. I just think there's been a bit a bit of inconsistency there and it averages out at pretty good. But 
you sort of would like to have a bit more reassurance that you know what a Danny Drinkwater performance is going to going to look like, um, whether it's going to be the sort of Bournemouth performance or say the Fulham performance that that, that saw us get a very um, surprising three points at the time. Yeah, and I mean Josh Lawrence has taken a lot of stick about kind of his performances outside of his centre back a uh, uh, couple of games, and I think it's just. It's sometimes hard to critique like one player at the base of midfield or or playing in midfield because it, it can look like they're not doing a job if someone else's job fails. And obviously, he had such a good partnership with Rinomota last season that um, they they both kind of gelled so quickly. Um, ben, do we think that maybe you know Drinkwater needs someone beside him, obviously, to to give him uh, the legs that. He's he's kind of lacking at the minute. Do we think that Rinomoto actually might be a better fit for that? Um, probably, yeah, I think so. If, if we think about when Drinkwater has been incredibly successful, he's had probably the best midfielder of a generation in N'Golo Kante alongside him, who, you know, the old adage people would say is it's like playing with 12 players. So Drinkwater can do all the nice on the, on the ball stuff and worry about one to two Kantes doing all the, the dirty work and covering the ground. Um, does Rinomota cover more ground than Laurent? Uh, probably. Um, I think Laurent is pretty solid defensively. Um, and, you know, we saw that when he dropped into a centre-back role with a surprising amount of ease. Um, yeah, I, I think I probably agree that on balance, Rinomota could be a better partner. Um, it does mean he would have to do less glamorous stuff. Um, less kind of forward surging, but maybe that's not a bad thing um, if we've got Drinkwater who's able to do that a bit a bit more. Yeah, and um, we obviously have freed up John Swift to go and do that as well this season. Uh, thank you for that nice transition. Um, <laughs> and he has been outstanding for the whole season. Um, but I, I feel like in the last few games, we're yeah, much like other people's weaknesses are coming out, I think that John Swift has probably been told, uh, Jack, that he needs to do it all himself because nobody else is going to. Or at least that that definitely seems to be the, the kind of weight on his shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. And whether he's been told that, whether he's decided that himself um, by looking around at the, the team around him and saying, well, I'm the one who's scoring the goals and I'm the one who's making the assists and nobody else is doing it. I don't know. Um, it also feels a lot of the time, like quite a few of the other players don't have necessarily the faith in themselves. And every single time it seems that we get the ball against a set defence in the opposition's sort of defensive third, everything has to go through Swift. And everybody's first instinct is, can we get the ball back to Swift? And you'll see, I think Millwall was a good example in a number of different instances where, particularly in that first half, three or four passing sequences where people would go, back to Swift, back to Swift, back to Swift. And actually, after a while, particularly when you've got injuries, which means that people like Halilovic and Hoyler aren't available for you, teams will just put three players on him and say, well, that's okay, because he's however many 70-odd percent of the goals that you've scored. So brilliant. If the rest of you are going to try and do something, this would be one of the few times this season, um, which I think makes it a little bit challenging. And then I think towards the end of that game, you sort of saw options where Pushkas was running through, having already, I think, scored a narrowly offside goal earlier in the game and Swift was not looking for that option at all. It was a case of, do I have to take this on myself? And 
after so long, you're not going to be able to get the same performance level out of him. The first 10 games or so was an absolute dream, but that's not been that swift at his best, and that's not going to continue throughout a whole season. And I think sometimes we need to find ways of actually getting the best out of the rest of the midfield unit that we have, because we know that people like Ajaria can be fantastic. We know that people like Delhi Bashiru have had some really, really top performances going forward. But when we're so Swift-centric, we don't find the way of getting the best out of them and maximising the the full like attacking flow. Um, and I think we can just hope that Halilovic in particular comes back soon to give us a little bit more of a, more dimensions to our, our attack than, than just John Swift and teams putting three people around him. Yeah, but John Swift is good. That's the that's the other half of this thing is that he is very good. Uh, ben, there's been some talk in the last, you know, uh, well today, yesterday about him uh, potentially having suitors come January. Uh, I I'd be very surprised if it does come off because even a couple of seasons ago, teams weren't matching our asking price, and I don't think that our asking price is probably going to have gone down that much. Um, is there a world where you'd sell John Swift in January? Um, I think that world would probably look like no points deduction. Um, at, you know, probably pretty clear towards Christmas that we're not going to challenge for playoffs and equally are safe from relegation. Um, then maybe the financial black hole is the biggest issue. But I don't think we can say that right now. You know, we've just, all right, we won the last game, but four losses on a bounce and... That relegation, so I think we would have been in it if the nine-point deduction had gone through at one stage, although I think we kind of dragged ourselves out of it pretty quickly. Um, I don't think we, I agree, I don't think we will sell uh, because we've seen this with on a number of occasions now that we don't sell our best players. Uh, maybe sometimes we should. I also think we're in a bit of a weird situation where if there is some some miracle where we find the right terms that that John Swift is willing to sign, that's going to be a huge contract. Uh, do we have faith in the future that John Swift will be as good as he is right now? He will manage to keep his dodgy hamstring together and will d- deliver value on that contract? Personally, I don't. You know, I'd hate for in 12 months time, he signed a one-year contract extension or something like that. And we've paid him millions to be injured and the fans hate him. And it's such a horrible end to a player who's stuck with us in a really difficult situation and whenever he's been fit he's consistently delivered as a top player personally I think he's earned his shot in the Premier League and I I can't be sad to see him go Uh, if it means we don't get any money that's probably another example of our mismanagement of these kind of things but you know he's in a difficult situation he's not downing tools and coasting the season out I'm not I'm not seeing that Um, you know he's grabbing games by the scruff of his neck and and delivering way above what could be expected from a player and he's really showing himself as a star in this league and we long story short enjoy him while we've got him uh because it probably doesn't get any better uh, in terms of swift and a reading shirt than this yeah i mean i cannot see him signing a new contract either because he will want to go to the premier league or because the efl will block any contract extension we try and give swift i mean he's already i believe in the top two earners at the club Mm. um earning more money than I will ever make in my lifetime uh, per year. Uh, So, yeah, I just, the financials on it, I just don't think we'll get through whatever scrutiny we're currently under. Um, I, as much as I would, would love another season of John Swift, to be honest, because yeah, he is doing everything. Um, 
Although there is one other player that's actually been fairly integral. Uh, he may not be winning many points recently, but Luke Southwood has come in and he has done fantastically well. I mean, obviously, uh, that Huddersfield game at the end of last season raised a fair number of questions, which I think you can safely now put down to nerves. Um, and once he's come in, he's he's done really well, Jack. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that I'm somebody who was always quite bullish about Raphael and thought that Raphael was getting a lot of a hard time for not really that many errors and quite an awful lot of fantastic saves. Um, but Southwood has come and just been incredibly solid and incredibly consistent. And you know exactly what you're getting from his sort of performances. And when there's not, I don't think that much to choose between them as keepers. You have to say that A, the consistency and just knowing what you're going to get is very, very important, both sort of in terms of the overall team performance, but just if you're a defensive back four, you know what you're going to get with Southwood. Um, but also, I think the the way that he um, has sort of commanded his area when he comes out for um, any crosses into the box, you know he's going to be going up for it. And since the first game that he... Or, the, the first game that I particularly re- remember him having against um, Fulham, where there are a few nervous moments and a good bit of protection from the referee, I think he actually has come through and been much more secure in that part of his game. Um, whereas I think sort of with somebody like Raphael, you didn't necessarily see him coming out quite as much or quite as consistently. And OK, you'd say he didn't have much of a chance with whatever far post header was able to go through because somebody wasn't marking their player correctly. Um, but you think Southwood probably deals with that in the initial phase of the of play. Um, it's been an incredibly successful um, sort of few months for, for Southwood. And I think as long as he just keeps performing at this level, I can't see any way in which Raphael manages to get his way into the side. I mean, that whiteboard is going to be haunting him in his nightmares at the minute for quite a bit. Um, did see that Devon Conway, the New Zealand batsman, managed to also rule himself out of the World Cup final today by punching his bat. So clearly there's something going around in professional sport at the minute. Um, but uh, I think that, uh, yeah, that's going to be one mistake that Raphael particularly rues. But Lee Southwood has come through and just been an absolute, absolute sensation um, and fully deserving of his international call-up uh, this break. Yeah, I mean, Conway's is worse, isn't it? You, you'd rather punch a whiteboard and miss a few league games and miss a World Cup final. But hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm glad that you said about him looking better um, coming for those crosses because obviously he's always done it since he's come in. But um, Jordan was saying last time that there's, you know, he's going to drop one and uh, people will get down on him because of it. And whilst I still think that's true, I agree that it feels less likely than it did kind of four or five weeks ago, which is, you know, he's just improving, if not every week, like over time, um, he's getting much better. And I I truly don't know where the limit is for Luke Southwood because um, he seems pretty solid in every aspect, as you say. Um, The next uh, block of games kind of does not end now. Um, We've kind of had our international breaks for... I'm not sure if for the year, but at least for this calendar year. Um, Ben, does that mean that this injury crisis is not going to go away anytime soon? Um, Well, we're getting towards Christmas. and I think that seems to be the point where all the players seem to be coming back, or certainly some of the long-term injuries. So uh, I think we touched on 
what it's like to to introduce a player after an injury and and jumping back to the conversation we're saying there and touching on the relationship between the, the the kind of the physios this is where they need to be the bad guy you know because the player will want to play Paolo will want them to play so that it needs to be up to that team to to make sure it's only once they look like they are fit and ready and that injury is is fully rehabilitated um and I trust them to do that um so you know that's that's their big challenge um yeah I mean this is just a, this is the part of the season that's always intense and always crazy and it's the worst possible time for us to be heading into it with at most 11 players it feels like um hopefully it has to get better I mean can't get worse right have me on yeah. a month to talk about that <laughs> yeah uh, let, let's say it can't um <laughs> the the thing that um, interests me about these next block of games jack is is kind of i feel like we kind of had an easy block and then we had a harder block and and um we kind of won some and then we lost some um but now we kind of go into games where we're playing teams at opposite ends of the league quite quickly um I mean, we play Swansea and Nottingham Forest, who are both two mid-table teams, admittedly, to begin with. But then we've got Hull, followed by West Brom, uh, and then Luton, followed by Peterborough. Um, so the streaks that I feel like Paunovic is kind of becoming known for, I, I, I'm not sure that they're going to be around in, in the next kind of few weeks. I, yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I think this is going to be, I mean, we can almost say that every block of games is going to be a little bit telling, but I think this is the one where you've sort of got the full range of the league um, coming up. Um, teams like Swansea and Forest, we would really hope to be competitive with. I know that they're a bit resurgent with new managers this season, um, but I think those are games where we can really, really benchmark ourselves against how well we, we, we've we're performing particularly if we're able to get a few of the injuries back this side of the international break um i think you then go into your games against hull and peterborough and you think those those should be touch wood in all things being equal six points and you'd start to 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 be nervous if that wasn't the case and then your games against in particular west brom but to a, a fair extent as well luton who have been quite impressive at times this season you probably think of those as your obviously your more challenging ones. If you're able to get anything out of those, particularly up at the Hawthorns, it's never a particularly fun one. I think the only happy time was Leandro Bakuna scoring four minutes in under Paul Clement and then a miserable 86 minutes that followed after that. Um, and I think that it's always going to be tricky when you're going against the newly relegated teams, particularly with the way that Ishmael will set a side up for. So I think there's lots of opportunity for us to find out a little bit more about how this Reading side with a few people returning from injury are going to perform over the course of this season. Um, obviously, there is the the general injury caveat, as, as mentioned, but I think this is going to be a, an opportunity and we should be looking at, at it as that to really understand where, where we can be challenging this season. Oh, that's relatively positive. Um, should, should we leave things there? That, I like that. Um, it's, it feels like a good place to end. Um, thank you very much, Jack. And thank you very much, uh, Ben, again, for waking up so early. Uh, I definitely would not have been awake to to care about Reading, let alone, you know, watch some of the games. Um, uh, yeah, there is, as I say, there is no international break next month. So I'm not entirely sure whether we'll end up doing one of these kind of monthly review podcasts. But if not, obviously, we've got all the rest of the content on Elm Park Royals. And I'll be back at the end of this week for a preview of 
whichever game we're playing. Nottingham Forest, isn't it? First up? Yeah, yeah, Jack's nodding at me. Nottingham Forest. Uh, so that'll probably be up on Friday. Come and 